One likes film, the other TV. Together, they chronicle life in the peak entertainment era. It's a streamable life. Hello, and welcome to another episode of It's a Streamable Life podcast with Brandon and Lauren. And today is October 20th. 20th. Uh, and with it being the 20th, what happened today in history? Okay, well, we got a couple things, uh, much more than we've had the past few weeks. But um, in film, uh, Coco, the Disney movie, premiered at, uh, was it Disney or just Pixar? Oh, well, Coco, the movie, uh, perfilm- premiered at the Morelia Film Festival, which is in Mexico. And um, it was the first nine-figure budget film with an all-Latino cast. So that was a big thing. And I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's a really good movie. Yes, I think I saw it last year or the year yes. before. It was excellent. Yeah, it's so good. Um, in music, I uh, got a couple of things. Uh, just a uh, little um, historical things. One, not so great, but the Sydney um, Opera House was um, open and founded. And this and and on this date in 1973, and that's the big thing that you see. We saw in the Olympics and all that. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the Queen opened it. Is what I read. So why those people was older than that? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting is that the construction on it started almost 20 years before. It started in like 1959. Yeah, and then they finished it in 1973. And yeah, that's when it opened. So okay. um, yeah, so it's kind of cool. It's, I mean, I think Australia, that's one of the first things that comes to mind because it's so uh, mm-hmm. just iconic. And then um, not so great of news, but kind of a big thing in music history. Um, on this date in 1977, um, the rock group Leonard Skinner, their plane ran out of fuel and crashed, killing six of their um, six members of their entourage, including band members and just kind of crew. So... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, one of those, yeah, it's one of those <laughs> sad days in, in music. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, we have a hefty episode ahead of, ahead of ourselves here. So we'll dive right into our first segment here with the headlines. There's a lot going on. I think it's just like the end of the year. Right, right. Things are a bit different in the industry as far as COVID goes. So we're getting a lot of new things as well as losing things. So just a lot is going on, more than right. there was prior to this year. So uh, first up in some HBO news, HBO Max has decided to cancel the series based on the novel Americana, which yeah. had uh, Denai Guerrera, <clears throat> excuse me, directing and which was supposed to star Luca De Nyong'o. Hmm. Um, because of COVID, the production schedule changed and it conflicted with Nyango's schedule. So HBO Max just decided not to proceed with the series, which is sort of an odd choice. Yeah. Okay. But in better news, uh, HBO's Euphoria has announced yes. that we will get two episodes before the season two release sometime next year. And the first yeah. of those two episodes will premiere December 6th. It's not too far away. As fast as these months are going, they'll be here before we know it. Right, right. So um, yeah. I heard this episode is supposed to star Zendaya's character, Rue, and um, 
Cole Domingo's character, her yeah. like uh, rehab mentor person. So that should be interesting. Yeah, it would be really interesting to see where they pick up just because I I'm trying to remember how the episode ended, but we know Jules is gone and right. Yeah. So. I read I read it's supposed to pick up like right after Ruse left the train station when Jules leaves her. So uh okay. Yeah, I guess she's trying to cope with that that incident right after. So we'll see we'll see how that All goes. Right. All right. Um, and some industry news, Michael B. Jordan is set to produce Warner Brothers adaptation of Static Shock for the yeah. silver screen. And for those who don't know, Static Shock was a, a comic character um, back on Milestone Comics back in the day, a uh, subsidiary of Warner Brothers. And then for us, our generation, yeah. we knew Static Shock as a Warner Brothers animated series. Yeah. Um, voiced by none other than Phil Lamar, which I did not know until recently. Yeah, neither did I. That's that's news to me right now. Yeah. So that should that be was, interesting. Yeah, that was like early two thousands. It was like, if I'm not mistaken, it was like two thousand. Like I was really yeah. young when that was on. Yeah. Yeah, those Saturday morning WB shows were were it. Yeah, they were. <laughs> um. Then we have Sony Pictures has decided to ink a deal with Jeff Friday Media, and um the Black American Film Festival to acquire films from that festival. So that is a yeah. big move yeah. um, just for Black art and Black film in general. Um, that festival has come popular within the recent years to showcase new films from Black uh, directors and writers. And for Sony yeah. to step in and wanting first days on those films kind of shows the wave of the need for inclusion sort of taking effect. Yeah, yeah. Now that's huge. Yeah. Um, two more things here <laughs> before another thing. Um, Channing Dungey, who was the former ABC president of entertainment and the first Black um, to be president of a major network television, yeah. major television network, sorry. She has just replaced Peter Roth as chairman of Warner Brothers Television Group. Wow. That is huge because she was just at Netflix over the original content there, but she was only there for about 20 months. So she's now in this position. Peter Roth has been there for 22 years. And in that tenure had developed uh, shows like Supernatural, Smallville, One Tree Hill, George Lopez show, like the Big Bang Theory. Yes, major hits like 100 primetime hits. So he's uh, decided to step down after 22 years and Dungey will be his successor, which is definitely a big move. Mm. Only a few short years, because she joined ABC, I think in 2004, and then was moved to president by 2016, so. Wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, Regina Hall, actress and comedian, has inked a first look deal with Showtime. So all those Black Monday fans, you'll see a lot more um, shows and original projects from her through Showtime's network. That should be fun. Yeah, that's good. Because I think she's definitely a slept on um, act. Yeah, yeah. 
And finally, we have uh, a new segment in our headlines with an article from Vanity Fair. Has PTV already peaked? Um, would you like to take this and explain what this article sort of discussed? Yeah. So like you said, this is kind of a new little thing where we're going to try to find an article that um, relates to the entertainment industry, not something just gossipy, but kind of talks about the inner workings of the industry and uh, how we as viewers and view it and all these other things. But anyways, this article from Vanity Fair um, by the writer, uh, I hope I don't doesn't her name, but I think it's pronounced Sonia Soraya. And she asked, has peak television already peaked? And the question and the kind of the headline was like, American television has had to compete with a deranged reality show that is the Trump era. And now we've got a million viewing options and a lot less worth watching. And I picked this article because it really ties in to um, you know, the theme of our show, but something I've been feeling a lot lately is just, there's so many different ways to watch television. There's so many different avenues providing um, you know, content and, and not all of it's good. Most of it is not good. And this really just hits on that. Um, I think uh, there's, a, there's a part here that I'll read that I think is very kind of important because it's how we talk about American television versus overseas. And um, it's just real quick. It says, it's still possible to make a great streaming show, but creators have to work against the platform's incentives, not with them. Only some creators have the wherewithal. When they don't, foreign shows take over. The imports, Fleabag and Schitt's Creek won back-to-back -back Emmys for outstanding comedy. And in parentheses, she has, wasn't American comedy supposed to get better in the Trump era? Netflix imported the riveting dramas Babylon Berlin and Borgen to, to the delight of critics and rallied loyal fans around the period Korean language drama kingdom, which is just one of many K-dramas available in streaming services. Streamers don't have to make American TV good. They just have to deliver good TV to Americans. So, yeah, I, I think it is a thing of where it, American produced stuff is just is lacking. And I think a lot of it has mm -hmm. to do with our reality right now is is easily the most terrifying thing that you can think of. So you're not going to do anything that can really shock us. And um, she goes on later in the article to hit on something that says, you know, as good as Shit's Creek and Secession are, um, as shows, they're still about upper, you know, higher class white people problems and money in you know, she makes a good point about how, uh, you know, most of America is living in poverty right now. Why aren't we seeing stuff about right. that that reflects that issue? So, yeah. Did you get a chance to read it? Yeah, I did. And I, I agree. She made some very good points. Um, and it, that's, at the end of the day, sadly, as much as people want to profess that this is all about art and letting right. creatives explore their their ambitions imaginations is about money right yeah, yeah and the whole quality over quantity always gets put to the side because right yeah gotta, at the end of the day they got to get those ratings and get those those funds in because we see at netflix all the time netflix has new shows premiering every week right yeah and then as fast as they premiere they're cutting them because they either don't want to take the risk on a show, right. whether it's good or not, not being watched, than rather building a fan base for something right. that's actually good. And that yeah. may win an Emmy at the same time. Like there's, yeah, they're more interested in the 
the end game instead of the long run, I guess you'd say. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I absolutely agree with her. And we'll move on here shortly. But she hit out at, uh, didn't really hit out at him, but kind of said what we said about Ryan Murphy is that he keeps getting these chances and Netflix keeps handing the money, but he's not making anything that's making you want to sit in, you know, right. binge it. It's, it's kind of like, oh, we've seen this before. And um, then she, she talks about just how convenient streaming is, though. You Like she says, you can pay $6, you can pay $8, 10 or $15 and just get loaded with enough content, but then only so much of it is good. You know, there's only like a couple of gems in there, but but I, I think it's a problem we'll continue to have because I mean, streaming's not going anywhere. Right, right. Yeah. And as more, as became more of the law of the land, of course the value is gonna depreciate because right. in those early years, they only had, you know, one or two original shows. Right. Yeah. Like, oh yes, this is great because the talk was network was wasn't really right. exploring new avenues, and they're still struggling, of course. Right. Right. But it's just it's like streaming has sort of reached the same plateau quicker than anyone really thought. Right. Yeah. So. So no. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a good little article, and like I said, we'll try to. I don't know. I if if we can find an article every week, you know that has a, a topic worth discussing then we'll do that but it may be something we do you know once or twice a month so we'll see right just just a little food for thought type moment right right yeah right. those were our headlines we'll get into binge me not real quick on shows we've been watching off and on between everything else um i finally got back into hulu's wu-tang and american saga okay. yeah and i watched the first episode and then just fell off right. uh, other things going on, but Mitch, three episodes in, episode four, it's really good. Okay. Um, the actors are phenomenal, and being, I was, probably wasn't even really born Yeah. at this, well, I was born, but wasn't knowledgeable of their origin, or even, right, even really young, yeah. yeah, or even young to relate to, like, when their careers were popping off. It's really cool to see them sort of growing up um they were some gangsters that's that's just yeah they were private and the the betrayals are excellent you've got ashton sanders as rizza shameek moore as raekwon um erica alexander it plays rizza's mother other phenomenal actors in these uh roles as well um even dave east the rapper is pretty decent as method man like he sounds like him when he raps and everything so wow he kind of looks like him yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know it, it was renewed for a second season. I just have no idea when that will be. But um, I'm going to go ahead and knock this one out, hopefully this week. It's only 10 episodes, so. Okay, all right. Yeah, um, and as for me, now you talked about the show a little bit last week, but uh, the Saturday was horrible weather. It was gloomy, rainy, so I literally just stayed in bed, and I watched all four of the episodes of Fargo, the newest season that just aired and it's a uh, it's good oh it's so good um i still got, i got the fifth episode to watch and that's sitting on the dvr but um all the performances are good the uh jason schwartzman i think that's his name um yeah he's good chris rock's good uh, the young uh the young lady that plays uh the daughter, Elth Eltharita, is that her name? 
Yeah, she's really good. Yeah. I've never seen her before. Yeah, no, nearby. And then uh, Jessie Buckley, that's the woman that plays the nurse. She's she's killing it. Her mm-hmm. scenes are kind of what you look forward to. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. um, but no, it's good. It's got the dark humor. It's got all the the family drama, and um, so I'm I'm definitely gonna finish out this season. I'm not sure how many episodes there are. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I just watched episode five today, so okay yeah. offline <laughs> yeah. all right now we're getting to our uh not segment where we discuss the shows we're watching weekly um we just uh had i didn't realize i forgot it was a season or series finale of hbo's the third day we have mm-hmm. the last day the dark um and i think this episode was really good and strong and sort of bringing the story um together because yeah for a while there i wasn't sure where we're going um and it helped me a little bit i watched the little um behind the scene thing at the end episode and both sections of this were directed by different people so summer was directed by someone else and winter was directed by someone else and they kind of merged them together but this episode really helped bring um all the characters and narratives to one conclusion, which I thought was pretty yeah. satisfying. What'd you think? Yeah, no, it was it was good. It was a uh, it was an it was intense. Very. When the, when everything started to kick off, I was like, oh yeah. Um, and uh, but no, like you said, it, it tied everything up and it made it all work. So no, it was it was good. Yeah. So basically, in this episode, you had um, Helen. Uh, has just discovered that Sam is alive and on the island and he has this premonition that um, everything's going to be okay once, you know, they're kind of reunited or whatever. But the birth of his son with Jessica, well, his daughter with Jessica has put the family in jeopardy as Jessica wants to fend off any other heirs to the throne of O'Shea. So, Things get a little murdery <laughs> very yeah. quickly. We lose both um, the Martins, tragically. Yeah. Um, that was really intense. And I, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, when he got killed, I, was, I wasn't expecting it. Not at all. They weren't either. They really thought they could, like, sort of negotiate them where, their way out of the danger. Right. That was not it. And then I felt even... Uh, more nervous for Lola. She was like hiding under bed. I was like, girl, why are you moving? Right. And I was like, no, no. Don't come out. I'm just glad none of the children were hurt because I was afraid they were going to go a little step too far, but right, yeah, it was just enough. So in the end, we have um, you know, Sam finally sort of taking accountability for his family to protect them. um, And he he sort of, yeah, he protects them and allows them to escape while he stays behind, given his sort of position and the belief that he he thinks that this child is his son, which was he, was he not? I I don't think so, because like he said, Miami, Miami, Naomi, Naomi Harris said that their son went missing when he was six and he would have been 16. And I don't believe the whole thing about, you know, once you get to Osea, you are Osea, you 
you don't age whatever so i don't yeah. think that was and then and then uh, uh what's her name emma is it emma or emily watson emily watson yeah emma, her character when she explained it i was like okay it does seem genuine like yeah so. um so and that escape um just showed you know the lengths at which she was going to go to protect her her family yeah. again so I, I thought it was really good yeah no it, it was it was um i'll be honest when we first started the first part i was like i don't know where this is going and uh but no, it ended up being pretty decent. I'm glad I stayed for the entire ride. Yeah, because I because I almost thought it would be an anthology, and that's why I got a little worried. I was like, right, right. the story didn't felt didn't feel as complete, but right. it did with the second half. Um, next, we have Showtime's The Good Lord Bird, which I am really enjoying. I don't know if anyone mm. else is like really watching this. Yeah, it's kind of gone under the radar, honestly. I, I, I mean, I'm not seeing anything about it. Yeah, and I think largely, I mean, with everything else going on, you have Lovecraft Country on Sunday at the same time. Yeah, so yeah. That sort of split hairs. And then the whole slavery backdrop, some folks are just, oh, I don't want that no more. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, you, you have all that, but this episode called Mr. Fred has John Brown and Onion uh, sort of refugeeing to Frederick Douglass' house so he can secure funds from the Secret Six, which I guess is some type of abolitionist syndicate or whatever. Yeah, that's what I got. So he can fund his army to complete his godly mission of killing and depleting those who uphold slavery. and um this was a very interesting episode you have the drama and historical uh facts depictions as well as the comedy um with mm -hmm. david diggs playing frederick douglas <laughs> yeah that was pretty funny um but i thought it was, it was a really good episode um i love the conversation uh, um between john and david just about you know the right method to go about securing freedom and everything and sort yeah. of that position of white allies and where they stand. And we have the same discussions today. It's crazy. Right. It, it's, it's literally the same conversations we have today. You know, what method is a good method? Well, we basically tried all the methods except this one. And every right. time we try to lean to that one, it's sort of frowned upon. Um, so yeah, what were your thoughts? No, uh, <clears throat> I thought it was a good episode. <clears throat> Goodness, I had to do some, some research to see if Frederick Douglass was in a throuple. Like, I was like, wait a second, what? Yeah, that but, really threw me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I don't, I still didn't find anything that really solidified that, but I, I I, he did he was like married or had a wife that was white at one point so i don't yeah. know yeah i do but, remember uh, him either like divorcing his first wife wife who was black or something and then marrying a white woman or something of that nature right so it was good but but uh, every episode of this it, it's it's impossible to take your eyes off of ethan hawk like, he's, yes 
he looks deranged. He's acting deranged. It's just the range of emotions that he goes through in the, in the show. But I like the running joke of his prayers being so yeah. long. Like, that's that's hilarious to me. But but yeah, like you said, this was a, this is a really good episode. Just kind of um, the discussion was had. I like how it really took place in just inside this house. The whole forty five right. minutes or whatever. So right, because the first episode we've kind of been first two episodes we've kind of been sort of everywhere. Just sort right, of like, right moving 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 and this one was sort of contained you got to right. see see more of the dialogue um between those two characters and I, I really did like like the discussion and as much the more i watched the more you realize john was sort of right yeah he, he was he was extreme but yeah he was he was right yeah and i i, I thought a good part that they um in this was just um onions amazement at how black people lived in the north you know they're walking down the street and uh onion sees the the women in the carriage being pulled by horses and she's kind of just like wait a second what like you know so i thought that was pretty good yeah and and uh near the end of the episode his like decision to sort of flee john brown um, because even though he's sort of free, he's really not in a sense. Right, right. Yeah. Um, he's not free to be himself because he's unfortunately masquerading as a little girl. Right. Um, and he just, it's all new to him. And that conversation with the other gentleman, who I think was Emperor, which they made a movie about his story the runaway hmm. slave earlier this year i meant to see but i didn't um okay. just on knowing when to run and you said he was like you don't so yeah. really yeah. really deep conversation and moving on to something not really lighter but in a different realm we had the premiere of unsolved mysteries volume two on netflix yes yes <clears throat> Did you get to catch the first episode? At least the first episode? <laughs> I've watched all of them. So yeah, I caught it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I told myself I wasn't going to do it, but I watched three yesterday and then I finished the other three today. Okay. They're so we'll just, easy to watch. Yeah, they are. We'll just talk about number one because that's all I watched. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Um, that's fine. Washington Inside Murder was about I really don't remember this at all. Yeah, neither did I. Um the murder of it was John, but they called him Jack, didn't they? Yeah, which I don't know if those are interchangeable, but maybe they are. The murder of uh John or Jack Wheeler, who was a former, you know, presidential aide, mm -hmm. Vietnam vet. He was one of the uh advocators who initiated the building of the Vietnam Memorial. Yeah. He had worked in intelligence, everything. Um, in 2010, his body was discovered in a landfill. Yeah. In New Jersey, correct? Or Newark? Yeah, yeah, it was in New Jersey. And to this day, if the murder is unsolved, all they can go on is that a uh, few uh, hours, well, 40 minutes of um, security footage of him at a parking garage. Mm -hmm. um, uh, contemplating that he can't find his car and that he lost his briefcase 
and we find out that he was bipolar, so they're not sure if he was having an episode or if the loss of these items sort of triggered something or if he was running away from someone. So it was very perplexing. Yeah, it was confusing. Um, I love the way that they tell these stories because, and I was thinking about this earlier, telling my sisters that you know you're not going to get the the answer it's called unsolved mystery you're not going to figure out what happened but for some reason when you watch it you feel like you are you feel like it's building up and then they just leave you and it's like Mm -hmm. boom and i think that's why it pulls so many people in but this one was strange in 2008 2010 is when it happened i would have i mean i would have been 18 i would have i don't remember this at all yeah, they showed the news clips, and I was like, who? Right, and, and all the news clips were from, like, Fox News, so I definitely wouldn't have been yeah. watching it. But, yeah. Um, but the there's just so much. The the smoke bombs, the house debate about him wanting, about him fighting the, the people of building the house across the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the footage was eerie. Yeah. Very, that was it, really... It, it did look like he might have been, I guess, unraveling or yeah, yeah, or something. Think, right. And to me, I thought the sort of hypothesis would have been like he was attacked in the house, like a struggle, mm-hmm. and then like the smoke bombs and the phone was sort of like supposed to be a deflection of what happened in the house or like yeah, something like that. But then I guess the footage of him in New Jersey was after that. So that doesn't really add up. Mm-mm. So then him putting the smoke bombs and losing his phone, doing that, and then trying to find his phone, tearing up the house. Yeah. I guess that could have, I don't know. It's just. I, I, mm. I don't know. It, it, you know, you don't want to go against his family, but I don't think it was like a hit. I don't think it was like, somebody was out to get him. I think if he did get murdered, it was a sense of, it was a thing of him being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Cause they didn't really give enough for someone to be out to get him. Like they mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like the uh, NS, what's it called? NSA, but there wasn't right. anything else there. No. And then you know, I don't think he jumped in a dumpster for warmth or anything. No, no. But it could have been like, I don't know, a hit and run or... Or like a mugging gone wrong. I, right. I really, I don't think somebody was out to get him. But but no, the, the footage was super strange. And, uh, but that, I mean, that's what makes the show so addicting. You just can't, you really can't turn it off. <laughs> right, right. So... So we'll hope to discuss the other ones once once I watch them. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. That concludes our knock segment. We'll get into our trailer things, which is sort of full of, of abundance. All the shows that were either paused or made before COVID are now coming to fruition. So yeah. we got a second trailer for season two of His Dark Materials. And yeah. this one definitely has um, the her male companion, uh, Lyra's male companion sort of front and center as they both embark on this right. journey 
with the subtle knife, which we see that the boy uh, has property of as he cuts into different worlds. We see the arrival of the witches and how they want to tear down the magisterium. This looks really good, really good. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see the introduction of the witches because the little bit that we got last season was like, oh, you know, they bring completely different elements. So having them right. as a main, a main part of this will be, will be exciting. And now I realize that first season was like, just like a slow burn tease yeah, for the action. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And then over on Netflix, we got the trailer for the Glenn Close and Amy Adams feature, Hillbilly Elegy, which is based on the book about a family um, and the effects of addiction throughout the years mm-hmm. on the young boy, um, the mother played by Amy Adams and the grandmother, Glenn Close. This looks yeah. like, you know, the sort of average Oscar bait right. drama. It, the, the makeup is giving me like i'm feeling very strong lifetime vibes from it like, <laughs> glenn close looks absolutely insane it's like oh jesus yeah they made her look very mm-hmm. i don't think they're in yeah. appalachia but but they are they are oh, okay. part of it they're in kentucky they're like in eastern kentucky so just outside of appalachia but um yeah man i I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we got the season five trailer for This Is Us, which debuts um, next Tuesday, the 27th. Mm-hmm. This will be a two-hour premiere, so we already know Tears Is Us, as I call it, is going to come for <laughs> our feelings. Um, season four wrapped on a cliffhanger. We have a one timeline we've got... Um, Sterling K. Brown's character and his brother, played by Justin Hartley, sort of on odds over their mother's pending health care, health situation. And then in the future timeline, um, it looks like Rebecca may be on on her, her last will and testament as the family sort of reunites, um, which may be, you know, the twilight years of her life after her illness. So, um, Hmm. Just be prepared to cry. It's all I can say. I think I'm the only person not watching this show. It's 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 really a phenomenon. Like I, I'm expecting it's not much different than NBC's Brothers and Sisters was yeah. or Parenthood, but the big big force or change for this is um, Randall Peterson, like Sterling K. Brown and his family's immediate family's narrative. Because that first episode, when you find out how this works, it sort of drives you in more. Um, we've got two other things going up. We finally got the trailer for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, the adaptation yeah, yeah. of August Wilson's film on Netflix. And this may well have been Chadwick Boseman's final film before his passing. Yeah, I think uh, it was. Yeah, so we've got Viola Davis, Chadwick, um, I think pretty sure Glenn uh, Turman's in this. Glenn Truman. Mm. Oh Lord. Oh, Cole. Cole Domingo and some other people I'm forgetting. Uh, that one girl that Jesse Williams dates, Taylor something. 
Oh, yeah. But the the cast is stellar, and I'm pretty sure they're pushing for Oscar noms for both Viola and uh, Chadwick. So. Okay. Yeah, I've I've not seen it. So, the trailer that is so. Yeah, it looks really good. Basically, a uh, story about Ma Rainey career. I think um, it looks like it explores sort of that success and the sacrifices to make to sort of cross over okay. um, to mainstream. So it looks really good. Then today, we received the first look of HBO Max's original series, The Flight Attendant, starring yeah. Haley Kuko. Um, this looks really good because I had no idea what it was about. Like, yeah, it's like a like a murder mystery, isn't it? Right. Uh, Kuko plays a flight attendant who has a one-night stand with a passenger and wakes up in the morning and finds him dead in her bed. And it looks like it has a bit of dark comedy to it as well. Yeah. Um, so just I, it's a limited series. So her sort of trying to cover it up and evade law enforcement and whatnot. Also co-stars Rosie Perez and Griffin Matthews, who everyone first saw in the third season of Dear White People as Duante. He was really good in that. So okay. And finally, we got a sixty-minute teaser. Not sixty minutes. Sixty seconds. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> right, that's a whole show. 60 right. second teaser of Amazon Prime's adaptation of Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad. And this is a oh. limited series directed by Barry Jenkins. He posted the teaser on his Twitter account. And it's basically just um, a, sh- a long shot of it looks like um, train conductors and like a train station. Yeah, I just read like the 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 synopsis of the book in this article, and apparently it centers on a slave named Cora who's attempting to escape her plantation, and she discovers the Underground Railroad, and sort of in this sort of um, historical narrative, the Underground Railroad is actually a collection of transit workers in an actual railroad that leads to freedom so that's hmm. an interesting twist that I yeah that was in there so it looks okay. i'm excited colson um is one of the prolific authors of the time right now and barry is one of the prolific directors so i'm interested to see yeah. take on this story Whew, a lot of trailers yeah it's a lot okay keep moving yeah so we're finally into No Concessions, where we discuss the films we've watched the past week or so. Um, I'll go first, since I've got a lot here. First up, I've been trying to watch Hulu's Monsterland, sort of the, yeah. not Halloween, but sort of Halloweenish anthology series. Yeah, yeah. And episode three is really good. It's really dark. Stars Nicole Bahari as a um young mother who i guess years denial of a family um secret sort of confronts her head on and sort of spins her on a psychological downward spiral yeah um it's a strong episode but i just don't know what the series is supposed to be (laughs) about about yeah i know it's anthology series 
and I think all the main characters are women, so I think it's sort of exploring sort of the real life horrors women undergo yeah. in society. But the first two episodes just sort of fell really flat. And this one was good primarily because of Bahari's performance since she's so central to the story. Yeah. But I just it's not really horror. It's not even like black mirror horror. Like I, I'm trying to I don't know where to describe it. Okay. So there's eight episodes. I guess I'll watch episode four. I don't I don't know. It's just kind of in the air. Um and then the other uh things I watched this weekend a friend of mine sent me a link to the Middleburg Film Festival, which yeah. is in Middleburg, Virginia. And they were having um, both in-person and virtual events. So um, for a price, you could rent a film for 24 hours or so and watch it and then vote on it for the festival. Um, it lasted Thursday through this past Sunday. So I was able to see Sylvie's Love, um, the period romance drama with Tessa Thompson and Kerry Washington's husband, because I can't really pronounce his last name or his name. Oh, yeah. Nimadi yeah. Washington or something like that. Yeah, um, the football player. Yes. Oh, uh, ex-football player. Ex-football player. He's actually a decent actor. He was really good in this with Tessa, who we all know is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Concrete Cowboy, starring Idris Elba and Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things. It's sort of his first post Stranger Things role. I thought that was really good. And then um, Lee Isaac Chung's Minari starring Steven Yeun was excellent. Like, so good. Um, A family drama sort of based on the director's life about moving from California to Arkansas so his father could chase this dream of becoming an American farmer. Yeah. It's, it was really good. Great performances from the child actors, a really moving family drama. And then finally, the final film I watched was One Night in Miami, Regina King's uh, film directorial debut, um, starring, let me make sure I get all these people, Eli Gore, Kingsley Ben-Adir, Alice Hodge, and Leslie Odom Jr. And they all play Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Jim Brown and C- Sam Cooke in um, 1963. Wow. And it's sort of like a fictional uh, historic narrative where um, they all sort of congregate in Miami after Muhammad Ali's fight with Sonny Liston. And they're, they're supposed to discuss um, just sort of the state of Black people at the time. This was like a crossroads for both Malcolm and Muhammad as this was before, as Malcolm was deciding to leave the Nation of Islam. Uh, Cassius Clay was about to announce his joining. Um, Jim Brown was about to leave the NFL for film and Sam Cooke, was career was sort of skyrocketing. So it's a really good film. Um, I think it will be on Amazon Prime this Christmas or this December. All right. I have to remember that one. Yeah, the, the trailer for Minari, it was 
you know, a minute to two minutes long, but it looks so good. So it's uh, really that's, good. That's one I was really interested in. Yeah, and then still, I know Silly's Love will be on Prime for Christmas. So mm. both of those were produced by Amazon. Alright. Okay, well, um, since we're still in October, I'm still sticking with Halloween movies and watching them when I go to sleep and watching them at random parts of the day. And uh, last week I was able to catch some that uh, kind of nostalgic. Scream, I think, was nostalgic for everybody because it, it like the Blair Witch Project kind of mm-hmm. ushered in a new type of horror movie. Well, this one, I, th- I think the Blair Witch Project started the found footage type thing and Scream was like the new, was like the heir to Halloween. Yeah. Because it was like the new type of slasher film. It was like, okay, this is different. Still had the same theme, but just upgraded for that time. And it, it was good. It, I forget just, I for, you know, you forget just how good it was and how you can get into it. And uh, I think it was like just under two hours, but um, you know, you're, you're going that whole time. And I was too young to have seen that in theaters, but I can remember renting it from Blockbuster with, my parents and being terrified and then the masks you know you still see kids today wearing them I'm like what do you know yeah. about it you're six years old it's like yeah the mask um, is like so so iconic now right yeah and then the other one i watched was hellraiser and that one was nostalgic because i used to be terrified of pinhead which is the guy you always see he has all the needles in his head and they used to just scare the life out of me but i finally watched it and i don't think i ever realized that he was kind of like Jason and Michael in the sense where they kept making sequels. There ended up being nine oh, wow. uh, Hellraiser movies and the main guy played in seven of them or acted in seven and seven of them. So, um, but yeah, so I watched that. And then uh, I think, oh no, this is just on Comcast, uh, just like on demand. I found it. Um, this movie is not a horror movie. This one is called a hidden life and it's by uh Terrence Malick, like the famed director, he makes really long movies. This one is almost three hours long. <laughs> I had to watch it in parts, but it um it follows a guy and a farmer in Austria who uh he refuses to fight for the Nazis during World War II. And he kind of makes it known in his small, quiet village that you know he's against the Nazi occupation. And then he faces execution and it and it's it's a long movie but it's really good because um terrence malick is known for making things look just like kind of ethereal and i i'm pretty sure they shot this movie in that part of the world probably in austria or uh um, germany or something but it's oh man it's just like it's in this it's in between mountains and stuff It's, it's incredible but um, but yeah, it's long, but it's good, and uh, yeah. So that's what I watched this past week. <clears throat> okay, we both were busy. Yeah, definitely. All right, we'll get into our feature presentation here, where we have our season one finale recap and series season review of yeah. HBO's Lovecraft Country. So. Episode 10 was entitled Full Circle, and basically our clan of heroes, Atticus, Letitia, Montrose, 
um, Hippolyta, Diana, Ruby, kinda, um, are faced with um, the, oh, and uh, Gia. Yeah. Are sort of faced with the end game of trying to prevent Christina from attaining immortality. And their their uh, plan is to um, conjure up a spell to bind Christina from using magic to prevent her from doing the final ritual, which will basically sacrifice Atticus for her uh, immortal ascension. Um, uh, what did you think of this episode first off? Uh, <clears throat> I thought it was good. I thought it was, um, you know, it, it it tied up everything that we were asking, left us with some questions, but um, the action, the just the, the story, everything about it was, was really good. I, I was curious about how everybody was going to play a part, especially Gia. I, I just figured they thought, well, we have another magical being with us. Let's just take her along for a ride. But how she played into the story was kind of cool as well. So, right, you know, it right. was it was really good. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Um, everyone did sort of play a part. Um, I didn't expect Gia to still be there. I thought she had right. left, but you know, she was there. Could we see her and Tick sort of reconcile, as you will, right. um, at the Drake Hotel? Um, what are some of your favorite? <clears throat> favorite moments out of this particular episode yeah just this episode yeah um i ooh, let's see i yeah obviously she's the villain but i like the like kind of the ruthlessness of christina you know when she went in there where everybody was standing in the garage i think it was or there in the shop mm-hmm. and she didn't get her way then she took away the vulnerability spell from um from letty uh i i I didn't realize, and in another part is when she was, what's her name? Um, oh God, why am I forgetting names right now? Letty's sister. Oh, Ruby. Yeah, when she was Ruby, I was like, wait a, wait a second. And you know, that fight broke out and I was like, you know, that was a pretty decent fight scene. Then she tossed her out the window. I was like, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. all that was, <laughs> was crazy. Yeah. I was not expecting that twist. No. Uh, but I guess we should have expected it because Ruby was adamant that she wasn't going to, you know, be the sister this time around because right. she's she's only her Letty's sister when she needs something. And right. her showing up with the blood successfully, I mean, we all sort of cheered, but ultimately that was, you know, a trick. Um, and she she pulled off incredibly well. Yeah, uh, she, she's got to be dead, right? That means Ruby's dead. Yeah, she she said, Christina says, I'm angry that you maybe have to kill your sister or you're the reason that she's dead. Um, or in that coma. Yeah. Date, so maybe they can bring her back or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah. Um, that switch was a favorite moment for me. Um I really enjoyed the, um, I'm losing it, the scenes with with D in the car, because we weren't sure what was about to happen. Yeah. Um, and her sort of 
her sort of uh, ownership of the blogeth now. Um, yeah. So that that was interesting too. Um, the historical references in this episode, um, I don't think there were as many as prior episodes because we were sort of circling back to many of uh, scenes, not scenes, but what uh, points from the first episode, like them returning to Arkham through the elevator. Um, it, it was just interesting to see it all all come together you know the realization gia has about what the shaw woman told her about her yeah she hasn't come one with the darkness yet um yeah it was all very interesting and mm -hmm. the the um level in which alec has finally understood you know that his sacrifice was necessary and that it would ultimately be best for his family yeah um, to come to peace with that because that that's another thing that the actual sacrifice scene was so extreme all, all the blood he was losing yeah i was like there's there's no way he's still screaming like he would be dead and then he did pass yeah. out so yeah she she just had had blood draining from his biceps like profusely it was yeah. <laughs> insane um, so now overall consensus on the season as a whole, what did you think or how would you well, rate? You know what, going into it, I knew very little about what I was about to experience because I knew, you told me about the book. I knew nothing about it beforehand. I knew about H.P. Lovecraft, but I didn't know about this kind of, um, th this book in particular of, you know, it being rewritten this way. Uh, but I would I, mean, I would give it I would score it high I think if I had do I have 100 I'd give it like a, a 94 95 it had its down parts but it was fun you know mm -hmm. I like adventure things and like we said earlier you don't get to see black people be explorers you don't get to see them be Indiana Jones or you know stuff like that so this was kind of kind of like that in a way with the sci-fi twist so yeah no it scores high for me yeah definitely I feel it it was something very not original but a fresh take on sort of the horror tropes and sci-fi right. fantasy tropes that you don't see black people in right. and using Nat Ruff's book as a, a launching point they really expanded on sort of the non-fictional side on um, all the right. historical references references and um I thought they did an excellent job and like you said there were some down down points um i know everyone sort of collectively thought the yahima decision was yeah was a sour point um and misha green admitted that um she's she's discussed that openly that that was that was a, a blind spot they had in the series um but for the most part i, I really enjoyed it um what were some of your favorite episodes <laughs> i i think my favorite episodes came back to back the first one being, um, oh God, Meet Me in Daegu, where we learn about, that's when we really start to learn about Tick's background and mm -hmm. just that whole story with Gia and her being a cameo that I thought that was well done. Um, and that's mainly because, you know, I just, it's, 
obviously that's still a fictional character but that's another culture's like folk tale and i thought that was i always think that's so interesting to learn so that was good and then um right after that was the one i am and that's when i think that's one where hippo yeah that's the with hippolyta when she mm -hmm. uh she starts to time travel and we kind of see her live her life as she wants for uh maybe the first time in her life and i thought those two were really good Right, I agree. I really like Mimi and Daigu just because we're seeing a different culture on yeah. screen and and allowing Gia not just to be some voice we heard on the phone, but giving right. her backstory and agency. And then right. I really liked uh, Jigabobo. Um, yeah, the overtones of MTL's death and how that affects Diana's character and just how. Um, trauma affects black children and their experiences and how often it's extremely ignored for black girls. I thought that was a interesting way yeah. to explore that. So I think those are two of the standout episodes for me. Um, now, where do you think this series should go from here? There's many that assume this was a limited series um, as the book is just like sort of a collection of vignettes. Um, but we have creator Misha Green saying, you know, that ending shot and uh, yeah. the Shava um, sort of gives way for another season or two or other stories. What would you like to see? I, th I think I think they they like I think I agree. I think there could be another season or two because um, the way it looks, it looks like Tick is dead, dead, but maybe not. So I don't know, and. Um, as for Christina, I'm going to guess she's dead, dead as well. But once mm -hmm. again, you never know. But if they do make it like an anthology thing and it just changes, but it, it would be kind of cool to see it from Dee's perspective or uh, see Hippolyta and what she does. I don't know. It, 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 um, right. I, I like right. that idea. Right. The possibilities are definitely there. Like, right. Because um, they've, they've, introduce the aspect of like a multiverse and time travel and different earths so it could could be an anthology series i wouldn't do any more than four but yeah no i wouldn't go crazy with it yeah but um i'm hoping there's there's something that sprouts out of that all right and that was uh lovecraft country all episodes are available now on hbo max if you haven't seen it for some reason get into it um and the book is available love country lovecraft country by matt ruff um it is slightly different from the show but the show is a totally different uh perspective of the series so and you can enjoy both um before we get out of here where are you streaming for the weekend Okay, I got a couple of things I'm going to stream. Um, the first is a movie that I found on demand in Showtime, and I added it to my favorites. And it was kind of a hit at uh, festivals oh, um, last year, but uh, it's called Swallow, and it's about a young woman who is pregnant. And <laughs> it's a strange premise. She's pregnant, but she has the urge to eat. Um, just dangerous items dangerous which sounds strange but just she she finds this the strange urge develops to eat things that she can't necessarily like digest so like 
staples and things. Yeah, it's, it seems very strange, but it was it was really, I don't know. They really it got really great reviews. So it's kind of it's like a a psychological thriller. Um, so I'm gonna check that out. Nobody's in it that you know really know. Well, Dennis O'Hare's in it. I think that's the name I remember. So um, yeah, I'm gonna check that out. Watch that. Um, the Undoing with Nicole Kidman. That comes on Sunday, the 25th. Is that the 25th? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have that. Um, tomorrow, Rebecca, the film that I talked about not wanting to watch. I'm going to watch it anyways with Army Hammer and uh, Lily James. Comes out next. Comes out tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I saw some woman tweet her review for it, and she was not happy. Yeah, it it doesn't look good, and it also didn't need to happen, but that's Hollywood. And then the last thing I have is a couple weeks ago, uh, Amazon Prime put out some trailers for uh, some horror films that they produced. There's four of them, so I doubt I'll watch all four, but I'm going to check those out. So, Alrighty. Um, and picking, piggybacking off of you, I definitely wanted to check out those films on Prime Amazon or Amazon yeah. Prime. Um, <laughs> I they came out like two weeks apart from each other. I just haven't gotten the boys yeah. and yeah, I just missed them. Um, but I'm also gonna add them to a list that also includes uh, Over the Moon, which is a Netflix animated film. Okay. It's drop Friday. It looks to be about a little girl whose mother told her stories of like space aliens in the fantastical world and yeah. she finds it to come true and she goes on this journey. So that looks interesting. Also on Friday, uh, Hulu drops Justin Simeon's Bad Hair. Uh, oh. The horror satire about a woman's weave that is killing people. Okay. So that looks interesting. Um, Thursday, HBO Max will release The Witches. This is a remake of the 80s film starring Anne Hathaway and Octavia Spencer. And then I believe also HBO Max is supposed to drop the limited series Equal. I think it's this week, if I'm not Hmm. mistaken. This was the limited series that sort of explores LGBTQ activists and um, primary, oh, activists and pioneer stories in, um, I think, short films. So it's it's a diverse cast. Yeah. The first episode launches Thursday. So it's like a documentary series where um, actors are portraying gay rights activists um, in different short stories. So that looks interesting. The cast includes Jamie Clayton, Cheyenne Jackson, Samira Wiley, Anthony Rapp, Sarah Gilbert, Shannon Purser. So it's a wide range of, of people involved. Yeah. So that should be interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. All right. And as always, you can follow us on all social media at AS Life Podcast. Get more content at streamablelife.wordpress.com. And because I'm a junkie for online <laughs> things, we have a Tumblr now, because that still exists, oh, um, at AS Life Podcast. Um, it's just an easier way to post things, because yeah. you don't necessarily need a computer and type and all that stuff. Just right. it up and it goes. So 
You catch us all there. And remember to keep on streaming. All right. Peace. Thank you for listening to another edition of It's a Streamable Live. If you like what you hear, rate, review, subscribe, and share our podcast on Apple Podcasts and all other major platforms. And for more content, follow us on our socials at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at AS Life Podcasts.